Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, July 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The UK is cracking down on misleading crypto marketing, and global equities took a beating yesterday. We'll talk to Katie Martin, who will explain what investors are thinking. Plus, our chief economics commentator, Martin Wolf, talks to me about his favorite summer economics reads. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. As we've talked about on the show many, many times before, crypto markets are extremely volatile, and a UK watchdog wants to make sure that advertisements about Bitcoin and others like it don't downplay the risks. Britain's Advertising Standards Authority told the FT that later this month, it would start to really crack down on misleading or irresponsible crypto advertisements. So now it's going to proactively scan for shady ads online using tech like web scraping and artificial intelligence before the watchdog largely relied on customer complaints to flag problematic adverts. The ASA is also working with big technology platforms on a separate initiative to get scam adverts taken down. Global equities markets were down yesterday. The S&P 500 fell close to 1% in the U.S., while the stock's Europe 600 gave up more than 1.5%. And U.S. Treasury markets, well, they were pretty choppy too. All this has investors worried about the global economy, and it has traders asking the big question, have we hit a peak? I'm joined by the FT's Katie Martin, to whom I will pose the same question. Katie, have markets hit a post-pandemic peak? Um, Do you want the long answer or the short answer? I'd like the short answer, please, Katie. Okay, the short answer is no. It seems pretty doubtful that the economic recovery has really come to an end or that markets have got as high as they're going to get. Okay, so give me the long answer now. Okay, so the long answer is there are various reasons why the stock markets are coming a little bit off the boil now. We haven't stopped, broadly speaking, pushing higher, but for a little while now, the kind of incremental moves that we've been making higher have just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But we need to rewind a little bit to understand what's going on here. So earlier this year, Markets kind of really went off to the races. We had what we call the reflation trade. The markets figured inflation is back and that's great for all the sort of banking and energy stocks that the world's been ignoring for the past God knows how long. They all came roaring back. It wasn't just about tech anymore. Government bonds fell quite fast. Value stocks that I've mentioned were loving it. So suddenly we had a much broader rally across markets than we had been used to since the pandemic. And then suddenly it started to feel like everyone had rushed too fast to one side of the ship. And the bond market is telling us that there's been a little bit of a rethink about what the recovery looks like. We're not throwing the idea of the recovery in the bin entirely. We're just saying that maybe it doesn't look exactly like we thought it was going to. So if I understand it correctly from what I've read, is that it's not that the recovery will bring a lot of inflation. In fact, what they're saying is that they're buying into this idea that the Fed is is selling that inflation is in fact transitory. Yes. So we're buying into the idea that inflation is not going to persist at the sort of sky high levels that we've seen recently. And we're buying into the notion also that if inflation does pick up much faster than we're accustomed to, the Fed will tamp it down. So that's really brought inflation expectations back under control. And it's really fired up 
the bond market. Again, we've seen a huge rally in bond prices over the course of July so far. And that, again, is chipping away at all those stocks that were so unloved and sad in the immediate kind of spring back from the pandemic. They are now slightly unloved and sad again. So it's much more about tech doing all the heavy lifting in stock markets again. It's much less of a kind of broad-based recovery. It's a little bit more discerning. So it's a different vibe. I will possibly regret making any sort of market predictions because it's just a completely impossible task. But I do think it's unlikely that we've seen the top. It's summertime, hopefully a time to get in some more reading. And the FT asked our columnists for their summer book picks. Today, I'm joined by our chief economics commentator, Martin Wolf. He offered up a list of books about, no surprise here, economics. Hey, Martin. Hi. Martin, I imagine your your desk or home office just stacked with just hundreds of, of the latest economic books. Um, and you chose a mere 16, which I have to imagine was pretty difficult. How, how on earth did you go about doing that? Well, it's always very difficult to do. And what I've tended to do in the past is to have these criteria. It's a sort of wide range of different authors, so far as I can, not just very well-known academics. I think that's important, um, obviously male and female but also books with different flavors, more political, more economic, more technical, less technical, and certainly not necessarily books I agree with. In fact, quite a few of the books I disagree with, but books that I think will force readers to think and tell them some things they might not know. Uh, Going off that a bit, I I noticed that a lot of the books that you chose have positive sounding titles, um, even though economics is known as the dismal science. Uh, was that intentional? Was it a post-COVID pick-me-up? Um, or, or is it actually just a signal that the, the field of economics is changing? I think it's an accident. Certainly not my intention to put forward books that cheer people up. But I think it is true already since the financial crisis and even more, or at least as much since uh, the pandemic, Economists have sort of been saying, we've got to do better than this. We've got to change things. And if you're going to want to change things, then you, by and large, if you're a normal human being, you want to change them for the better. And so quite a number of the books are you know, about rescue, for instance, a book called Rescue and a book called uh, Values. And then there's Richard Eastlin on Happiness, which admittedly is not a new theme for him. So there are a number of books that reflect on the way we can make the world a better place. Now, that's not by any means the only theme in these books. And I think that's an understandable reaction to where we are. So, Martin, I go to the beach. I only have room for one book in my bag. What do I bring and why? Now, this is a really hard question. Um, and I'm going to cop out a little bit. <laughs> it depends really on who you are and therefore what sort of thing interests you. If you're the sort of person who wants to read a book on the beach that will explain where we are and how we could make the world a rather better place, and you're not really into economics in a technical way, I think you might enjoy Manu Shafiq's what we owe each other, a new social contract. It's, she's an insider. 
very much so. Very intelligent woman, currently director of the London School of Economics. And she's sort of saying, how do you rebuild a society that works? The second book is about as different from this as possible. And I think it's the best economics book here. It's a bit dry. It, it would be the book by Philippe Aguillon and his colleagues. It's called The Power of Creative Destruction. And it's about what drives growth, how we innovate, and how we can tame that process in a productive and socially constructive way. And finally, because it's just so different, I thought Ryan Bourne's book on the COVID crisis, Economics in One Virus, which just explains how do economists think about something like a virus. So if you're just somebody, perhaps somebody young, who wants to understand how do economists think about our really first-class crisis, namely COVID, I think Ryan did a really good job of elucidating this, and it would explain quite a lot about the way economists think. That's quite the the broad selection, and all of them really sound interesting. The one that, just on a personal note, that caught my eye was um, Religion and, and the Rise of Capitalism by Benjamin Friedman, which I just think is is really important for the way that we understand American capitalism. Yes, I agree. Uh, the reason I didn't give it to you this is that this is a really big book, um, uh, <laughs> and I thought it might be a bit of a burden. But he's taken up this theme with gusto, and for anyone who wants to understand America and contemporary American capitalism, I think it is a very nice book. Maybe not for the beach, though, at 544 pages. Yes, it, it is. Uh, that's what I thought. Perhaps a little much. You can put it on your Kindle, I suppose. Uh, but I, <laughs> he probably should have been forced to cut it. I'm in the process of, of cutting a book, my, being told by my editors that I must cut a book I've just finished. I really don't want to do this, but it probably is a, a good idea. But the theme and the treatment is are really very interesting. Oh. Thank you for your time, Martin, and your suggestions. Martin Wolf is the FT's chief economics commentator. Before we go, another disappointment for anyone with a ticket to the Tokyo Olympics. Yesterday, the Japanese government banned spectators at events in and around the Tokyo area, this after an earlier decision to allow a limited number of spectators. Japan declared a new state of emergency due to the spread of the Delta variant of coronavirus, but spectators are still allowed to attend events happening elsewhere in the country, like baseball games and soccer matches. The Tokyo Olympics start in exactly two weeks. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. Our intern is Zoe Hahn. We had help this week from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Persis Love. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Music.